Welcome to the Quarter Life Panic Podcast. Each week, my friend Alex Spradlin and myself, Patrick McClure, tackle today's issues facing young, politically active professionals. You can find us on SoundCloud, Quarter Life Panic, and on iTunes. Leave a comment, share to your friends, and give us a like. Enjoy the conversation. Can right. you hear me now? Yeah, I can. I, oh, oh, oh. That's you, really weird. No, it's, it's, I, I am, oh, uh, I just, I get angry at services that I use, um, really easily. <laughs> I guess it's a great way to start the conversation for today. So I, so just to update everybody what just happened there. So we, I tried to start calling and recording on my Skype, or what I thought was my Skype. So for Windows, there are two versions of it. Um, we are there is kind of like an app type version, which is the traditional Skype, and then there's a Windows PC desktop version of it, and that's the one that automatically opens up unless I specifically open up the app version. Well, like for whatever reason, audio doesn't come through for me on the desktop version. And the call no, or the the app that I use to record the calls does work with the desktop version, only the app version. So I had to go and exit and call you back on the app version and not the desktop version because apparently when Microsoft buys a company, they don't think about compatibility with their own software. Yeah, no, that's how controllers and stuff get through put through screens. Yeah, 100%. I I'm, I actually started playing PC gaming, like playing Skyrim on a keyboard, and I realized it's much healthier Ooh. for me because I can't pick up my keyboard and throw it at my wall. I that takes like more effort mm. than what I'm willing to do. <laughs> I was just say, slightly more effort, not much, but maybe enough. The controller's in the hand, though. I mean, you're gripping it; it's already right. there. I mean, you got the grip on it. You can just fling that sucker. The keyboard, I you know, I have to lift it up, put it overhead, and then I have to chuck it. Um, so it's not a. It's a little bit more of an issue there. See, I forced myself, and forced myself, I really didn't. But I bought the Elite controller, yeah. so it's way too expensive to throw. That's, and that's, I remember yeah. that every time I get mad. <laughs> You know, people thought that when the Wii came out, though. When they first thought the, well, like, Wii first came out and people got mad at the TV. Or no, there's two people. People got mad at the TV, and then other people just didn't put the thing around their hand. So Mm -hmm. a lot of expensive televisions were broken. On people's faces, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't been hit with a Wii controller, but I also know, like, where to look out for when we're playing tennis. Mainly pets at my house when, like, all the family's over. Oh, that's sad. Pets and babies, um, and then the unsuspecting person that has a side conversation not paying attention. Uh, we haven't, I haven't, we haven't ever pegged any children. I hope to keep that one, you know, consistent. Um, haven't pegged any pets so far. Um, Bear has ruined a couple games of Destiny or Call of Duty along the time because he decided that he wanted to jump up on the couch and cuddle, um, or the chair or something. Um, he's ruined a few of them, but no one's gotten hurt yet, other than my KD ratios. Very nice. Anyways, um, what's going on, Alex? How are you doing this week? Oh, I've had a lot going on. Um, 
I'm actually looking at um, potential defense contracts. They're um, only drafts right now, mm-hmm. but uh, I kind of filled you in a bunch of different things. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily new money. I think just reallocating from old budgets, mm-hmm. but um, the Merchant Marine and the Coast Guard are getting, um, and I wouldn't imagine the Texas Rangers uh, would not benefit from this either, but all our coastal waterways that are not oceans. Oh, and nice. they're looking to basically pull from the mothball shipyard and then develop new prototypes for like fast tech boats um, or that can intercept drugs, immigrants, etc. Uh, bomb no, parts, you never know. Now, none of this is classified information, right? No, no, it's all existing. <laughs> Uh, but they're looking for cheap ways to, you know, outfit boats because all of these, um, you know, different gangs, groups, you know, whatever, they all have access to the same, um, you know, buy uh, bullet materials and then reload themselves. I mean, they can get armor piercing rounds real easy. Yeah, that's uh, – I remember, like, someone was saying – I know that you – every every conversation that we have that you're like, uh, such and such is happening or is occurring now or starting up now, and I'm like – starting it was like you know developing right now i was like i thought that was just the thing that happened that existed because i remember was it die hard no no what was it not die hard mel brooks not mel brooks mel gibson wow um mel gibson danny glover holy crap i'm dying right now that was like the whole plot of like one of the like one of the cop movies i think every cop movie in the 80s was like cop killers Armor piercing, armor piercing rounds. Oh, the sh- yeah, the shredders. Yeah, like that was that was like a thing, you know that that people were talking a lot about through the nineties and even the two thousands. Well, sure. So, right, it has been a thing. Mm-hmm. However, the way commerce is done now, um, there are a few different sites. I won't mention it because it's spreading information. <laughs> but you could, it's essentially, it works like Amazon, but mm-hmm. it comes from China. Um, happens to have a really funny b- Boo Boo Baba name. Alibaba. And yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so you can get drop forged and three three D printed uh, armor shredding rounds on uh, Ali- that you on, can reload in. On Alibaba. Yep. Nope. Yeah. You can buy the plans and the material oh. printed. Oh, so it's like I, this is gonna totally rat out. Um, not myself, but friends of mine who have done this is you can go and get uh. You can go on any veterinary website and basically get, you know, um, clenbuterol and, like, Winstrol and a couple other drugs that are used for, like, steroids and just say they're for animal use. Um, So they won't... You can just go to the underground labs for that. Yeah. But, I mean, mean, legally. Like, you can just say, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I own a horse farm. They don't check into it, and they'll sell it to you. I don't advise anyone doing this. Um... Because if someone does a basic investigation into it, then they'll you know you'll be popped for it, and that's how his people get popped. But uh, it's just it's one of those things like no, we're not going to sell you guns. We're just going to sell you all the materials to make guns. I'm not going to sell you yeah. heroin. I'm just going to sell you all the materials to make heroin. Oh, oh yep. man. So yeah, no, but it's it's the it's a combination of trying them to save money. Um, retrofit as much as possible without spending like new, uh, you know, R and D. And then the other thing is, is the tea leaves being in this community now, uh, you get tea leaves. So now, if, if you have more than a forty percent tint in 
all states you should and i would say necessary need to have a prescription because they're being directed all state police troopers are being directed to pull drivers over um suspected or not uh due to gun parts and mom parts being smuggled in tinted window cars really all shape sizes models and years wow so uh, it, that's that's insane i mean i like my truck's fine you can literally see like it's an unofficial back. directive down from the homeland security uh and justice department i'm wondering if that explains so i live in um the new york new jersey area northern new jersey southern new york area and not as much new york because our our roadways are a little more back roady connected on major highways um, but new jersey is a lot of I'd say the opposite back roads that just happen to major highways at the same time. Um, and the police activity in New Jersey is insane right now. I'm talking, uh, Oh, it's everywhere. It, it everywhere. Um, Detroit's been the same way that we have an eight mile. <laughs> um, it's called the green mile for a reason. Yeah. And they have been everywhere from seven in the morning till midnight. I see them on Sundays now. That used to be song. That used to be a day where I used to count on my uh, safe travel, safe meaning fast travel, because no cops yeah. on the road. Um, and that's no, like, no. Geez. They're now playing around with all of these whispers from ISIS and everybody else uh, due to the Manchester scare. Mm-hmm. They said, "Don't, no holds barred. Pull them over. They got a prescription. You know, they don't seem fishy. Great, let them go." That, uh, but well, that kind of take no. No chances. That kind of branches off into a current issue that I kind of wanted to uh, like touch on. So uh, after the the Manchester scare, or Manchester attack, I don't think I don't think it's fair to call it a scare. Um, well, yeah, it's. I mean, it was. You know, it was. Um, there's a lot of interesting responses, and I can and I, I'll go into it a little bit. But uh, you know, kind of going into what happened in the the follow up of it. So Live Nation, um, who is I found out like Live Nation is you know it's a if you're not on the East Coast, you don't see their name everywhere. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If if you're like in, yeah, I mean you have to be in tune and follow the the relevant publications and stuff. Yeah, and Live Nation is a basically an event organizer, a large event organizer that puts on concerts. Um, I heard people in California say that, yeah, they have some stuff out there, but unless you're in the business, you don't really know who they are. If you're on the East... Yeah, I mean, they, they organize and, and logistically uh, execute what Ticketmaster sells. Yes, yeah, basically. And so they are canceling all shows in in the UK for the next year that they've put on and they have, and they're looking at the rest of Europe and they're taking it on a country by country basis. Um, and yeah, it's, and they said, you know, we have to protect the artists. Now live nation doesn't put on, it's like, it's not like they're going to cancel, you know, a hundred concerts. They might, maybe a hundred, they're not going to cancel like 300 concerts. It, these are large concerts that they put on. Um, no, Ariana Grande and you know the Justin Bieber concert got canceled. Is he? Is yeah, he... the the second and third tier are probably okay. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, they're your smaller people who are going to go there are going to be able to go and and play. Um, but you know, they they are they're pulling out of um, 
They, they are. They're, they're pulling out of the UK for sure. Um, and that's kind of, you know, it's interesting to me um, because now you have a terrorist, you know, we haven't seen a terrorist attack um, or I, I should say this, an attack. Um, I don't like to call people terrorists, even if they, everybody's a terrorist, because I think it gives them a certain level of martyrdom. Um, yeah. I, I, we haven't seen an attack since, you know, I would say not for a while that actually affected commerce. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what... I would say nine eleven, right? Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that that's what I was thinking. I, I you know I wanted to say like I don't I don't think any of the other attacks you know I don't think the Boston bombing you know didn't really affect commerce as much. People came and ran in the Boston Marathon, and Boston you know really united as a city. Um, you know even more than you know Boston. We didn't think Boston could unite anymore as a city, and they did. Um, and you know, at least in the U.S. and even internationally, you know, there was the bombing of the London subway. Um, there were the you know the Eagles of Death Metal attack that was what that was two years ago now, three years ago. Um, they came back, couldn't play that concert venue, but played another venue a year later. So it didn't really affect commerce as much as this is now like affecting commerce and. I think it's just an interesting reaction um, on on this, and I think and, and there's for obvious reasons, but um, I think that is you know the, the overall the goal of the planners behind everything or the inspirers behind everything. I don't think there's any planning behind this. I think the goal of the inspirers and the people run pulling the strings um, behind a lot of these attacks for whatever reason, are really trying to affect commerce in Western nations. And that's kind of the ultimate goal. Would you agree? Well, sure. They want people to stay in their houses, be afraid of everything. I don't see... I mean, sure, there was lockdown um, detours and and certain checkpoints in place after 9-11. But, I I mean, I don't think just because of how strong our police are... uh, I mean, it would have to be multiple, multiple cities, large and medium-sized metropolitan cities at the, you know, at the same time, uh, blanketing, you know, all sorts of dark and um, regular net, you know, chat channels. I mean, it would have to be something, you know, tr- like you said, uh, inspiration is one thing, planning and execution is the other. Yeah. And there's no, uh, at least that we've seen so far. Uh, no, no, you know, no entity, person, or otherwise capable of doing that. No, yeah. no, there isn't. Um, but and I think that you know, we as American people, this is the sad thing. And I, no, this isn't the sad thing. I shouldn't say that. This is the interesting thing: is do we have the means to do it? I, I do think so. But do we have the means to do it in the, the will to do it? And by will, I mean. Are we willing to give up our own personal privacy to such a degree that we can track and prevent these type of attacks? Um, I don't think we do. I think that, you know, and I don't think that's necessarily bad things are going to happen, but I don't think that the giving up of some of your basic freedoms, 
I, I think that at a certain level, we are balancing out that decision right now. We're saying how much personal privacy are we willing to give up um, in order to prevent uh, large-scale attacks and, and planning and things like that. Um, it's interesting it happened in the UK because if you talk about countries that have like a big brother state, um, you know, UK, the UK is almost worse than when people complain about the US. It's kind of like if you think the US is bad, go over to Europe, um, mainly the UK. There are cameras on every corner. They do track communications very heavily there, um, whether they're doing it efficiently or not that's up for discussion but it's still um that's kind of my that'll that'll be my next question then yeah yeah so it's it is you know they're tracking people very heavily and still something happened so are we willing to give up you know all of our personal privacy to you know fully shut down these types of attacks and will giving up our personal privacy actually shut down these types of attacks that's like that's my general like thought process. What do you think behind it? Well, the the willing. I mean, you're seeing the willingness right now in with the UK. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they knew exactly where these people were because they said, "Oh, every hour they're they're arresting two or three people. There's new raids, mm-hmm. uh, even more raids. They're now canvassing half of London, and so clearly they know where these people are. And uh, being the great Western society that we are, we like genuinely to protect people's rights mm-hmm. uh you know unless they do something terrible um so what, what are we gonna is it gonna have to be uh, you know a minority report type of type of deal uh is it gonna take a large multi-city maybe multi-country continent uh you know strike to bring everybody there to their knees before they're ready to do that i don't know and it's interesting you go into the minority report type thing i was just listening to an interview so there's actually there's actually a um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. There's a, a writer and a researcher out there. He wrote the book called Everybody Lies, and he was a Google data scientist. Um, and actually, Google's on my docket to talk about in here in a little bit as well from our segment that we were talking about, we were going to talk about the other week. Um, but so you can. You can look at polling and you can look at surveys about questions you ask people and how they answer it all you want. Um, it ends up being highly speculative and it's not always honest because people will answer surveys how they want you to think how they think. You know what I mean? No, I agree. Yeah, and so... Um, what he did was instead of tracking what how people answered questions was he went and tracked what questions people were asking on Google and following what search results they went to. So the opposite Trigger results. Yes. The opposite way around. And he found that that much more accurately kind of calculated people's behavior patterns and how people thought and how people would vote and how people would act now this could be used again this could be used for like predictive 
predictive criminal type things. Um, this could also be used, you know, for and the other side of predictive criminal behavior. If you were to allow people this level of access um, to that type of, you know, predictive modeling. Um, so there's a big there's a there's a there's a de there's a debate behind that you know type of thing of you know we have this data this data exists but like what do we do with it you know do we do anything with it um, and if I'm the type of person that is trying to commit evil acts and things like that I'm going to try to circumvent these things um, I'm gonna you think I'm gonna go out there and you know do I know these behaviors now I'm gonna start asking different questions encoding myself so how do we keep it's it's you know we're gonna be keeping up with it as well so I think that's that's a lot of the questions behind it of you know if we do give up a lot of our freedoms is it gonna be worth it and is there gonna be innocent lives lost and when we give up our freedom towards it um, well at the same time though um, don't I, I wouldn't count biotech being out of things mm -hmm. uh, necessarily with you know the minority port obviously it's a bit of a supernatural psychedelic type of stuff yeah. um steve jobs would love that i'm sure but at the same time you know when there are biometric scanners in, in every single smartphone watch uh mm -hmm. heck even people's contacts and, and glasses um they'll be able to you know scan brain chemicals that are triggered only by certain you know thoughts of animus and stuff so uh, we might have just you know little pencil stun drones lying around scanning people until somebody you know pops the right hormone and the intent is they're gonna you know pull out a gun or knife stab somebody boom shock them done yeah well that means that we're all getting shocked going through airport checkpoints have you ever been through an airport security check I want to stab everybody oh I have I actually I've walked through the TSA pre-check with um, something that certainly shouldn't have been in my bag but yeah. I just handed it over I was like oh I forgot it was in there. Sorry. But then, uh, I mean, I know I've walked through airports where I, if I had something in my bag, so, I mean, I'm not saying I would have actually done it, but I would have thought about it, and it would have set off some hormone triggers in there. Um, so I guess it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's yeah. it's gonna take some really really <laughs> gruesome stuff to happen for us to consider that uh, yeah. type of approach. Yeah. However, that's not too many concerts of Ariana Grande and little girls dying. No, there aren't. I mean. But I, even though, so the, the 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 reaction to this has been interesting, and I think that as always, the left has tried to figure out, you know, the the, the motive behind who the person was, and I'm kind of glad that this guy's face isn't plastered over everything this time. Um, you know, we uh, relatively, you know, it's not like the brothers in the Boston bombing where you saw their face everywhere. Um, oh, that was brutal. Yeah, it's it's just different. You know, people are actually doing a whole investigation behind. And they I actually made it a little romantic, uh, it, like hue to it. It was. It was weird. It was creepy. Um, but still, um, the two things I saw, um. And this is from, you know, the, I would say definitely like kind of the, the, the right side, um, the right bubble um, was one was something I felt like I kind of agreed with was, hey, yeah, like 
Like you think about England, England's about that, you know, is like that former baby mother. Like it's your child's mom. It's yeah, you guys broke up a long time ago and stuff like that. But hey, if someone's messing with you, with her, and it's hurting you, and she's still family, we're gonna go out and fuck shit up. Um, but I also saw same people who were like, um, oh boohoo, Ariana Grande, who is quote I, this is like a quote from someone was pro-muslim pro-immigration blah 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 kind of like oh she was asking for it type of yep. deal um which i find weird and i don't know how to feel about that from you know where there is this like there is this precedent right now that there is that you know a good um solid you know what would be traditionally right-wing you know argument of hey our ally got attacked and one of our citizens was there it was one of our citizens event and our allies people their children were attacked we should respond to this and then there's well see hold on okay though we're we're starting to connect connect some um, degrees of um, and layers of separation at, at the same time there's also the discussion uh, and how this this whole trip is orchestrated where you know he he started with the the muslim mecca and now you see both left and right you know it's not about the religion religion is not tied to the violence it's just another interpretation it's messed up it's just like conservatives yeah uh you know just like liberals whatever but at the same time when we're talking about the the bombs and the attacks or the inspiration and there's no planning without the religion would there be the same sort of motivator i don't think so and i, and I think that i i've had this discussion with myself um, I mean, in, when when I say I don't think so, arguments sake, that more and more people you are seeing these different posits and context, uh, and truly, where you see a ton of people, you mm. know, saying, "Well, it's not about the religion," or you know what, we're here settled, been here for generations, our whole community has a you know separate interpretation or whatever. I mean, it's getting pretty pretty mucky. It is, and like I think, I think that um, I, I think I brought up the, the example to you earlier. You know what. The religion plays a role. Like I said, I, I, we were talking about this earlier because I pulled up the um, the example of Sirhan Sirhan. Um, yep. And I think he's actually a really good example of someone who at face value, if you don't know who he is, if I say a citizen of Palestine assassinated uh, our, um, JFK's little brother, you're going to say... That was a Muslim terrorist. That was the first example of this, and we should have shut it down then. But then I have to say, well, wait a minute. He he was a Christian. And they're like, what? I was like, he was a Christian citizen of Palestine, and he was a devout Christian citizen of Palestine, who had been under the subject of Israeli rule for years and the people been stomped down and RFK and JFK were sympathetic to is to Israel and he attacked on that basis of not religion but um you know the the 
more of a traditional thought, you know, a Franz Ferdinand type assassination by the Black Hand, um, where it's about culture and nations and freedom. And I still think that this there is this underlying issue here. So if you look at pictures of Iraq, Pakistan, Afghanistan, um, you know, inland Middle Eastern countries in yeah, the Middle Asia. Yeah, Middle Asia, um, not coastal. So to take out Qatar, take out Jordan, take out Dubai. Um, you know these oh. You know, States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take out all those, all the ones that are rich. Um, <laughs> um, which I'll, I'll say, I always say there's a good example of Jordan. Jordan has its issues, but I think Jordan has its issues because it's actually a modern country with modern things. Um, Dubai and Qatar have kind of a slave state thing going on um, where there's huge inequality and there's a, like a massive population of people that serve like really rich people. Oh, anecdotal info on one of my projects actually having to deal with Dubai over there later. Anyways, um, they, uh, if you look at these early pictures, these countries were not, it's not like these countries have always been back backwards. Like we put it. It looked like say by the bell. It did look like say by the bell. Um, that 70 Donna with the parish pants. They were at par with, American culture. They were at par with American development. Um, and it's, I mean, Saudi Arabia was the only one that kind of, um, they had the longer skirts, they had the longer skirts out of the crowd. That yeah. was the, that was the family with the longer skirts. And, and that's the thing. And you, but, but, but Saudi Arabia was the only one that like kept up this vision of, of modernization to a certain degree. Um, but at, but like Afghanistan and things like that, they were not backwards countries. What happened was a lot, of, and this is what people ignore, is um, why, you know, people forget Rambo 4. <laughs> Stay with me. Um, yep. <laughs> Rambo 4 was Rambo going to Afghanistan to fight alongside the Taliban against the russians and that was the story of 1965 ish 66 ish all the way through the 80s where this war between basically western civilization uh and you can in from their point of view you know western rulers uh, and western aristocracy and Russian dictatorship. And from their standpoint, the American aristocracy won and then forgot about them, destroyed their country, destroyed their nation, destroyed their infrastructure, and then forgot about them. And a lot of what you have are very never, I always say this, is the people that we are fighting against who are the guys holding the guns on the front lines um, are, you can't call all of them stupid, but I can say that all of them are at least disenfranchised and a majority of them are undereducated. Not stupid, undereducated. But the guys pulling the strings and the guys running it and talk about, you just you start rattling them off. 
um, you know, Saddam Hussein, American educated, very well American educated. Um, Osama bin Laden, uh, American university, you know, you know, basically like a master's degree, very well educated, very intelligent, very well spoken. All these guys that run, you talk with the whole Bath Party, all these guys, Oxford, Yale, um, American, you hear American University a lot because American Cambridge, University, yeah. Cambridge, very high educated, and they know the economic things behind it. They're, you know, they're, they're devout Muslims, but they're also able to use this in a way to get people to rally for their points. And, and I think it all comes down to, you know, a lot of nationalism and a lot of, a lot of issues that we created over the years that now religion, religious extremism is always going to be a symptom. And once you, and we can try to eradicate a symptom all we want, but until we figure out a way to eradicate a cure, and trust me, look at the hand, the handling post, uh, you know, post the downfall of Saddam Hussein and the war in Iraq. We are not good at handling the disease. And until we learn how to handle the disease, which the fuck if I know how to do how to do it, I think a lot of it has to come through some blatant understanding and accepting of people and not thinking about the consequences in the short run. But See, we're never going to – I don't understand as great as philosophy is. We are never going to be able to sell something that people don't want to buy. I know. I know. I and, and I you know, it's you know, peace sells with who's buying. So, They're only going to buy in when they see how that much better everything is that we surround ourselves with and that we create. Yeah. And it's um and it's evidence though. Look at Dubai. They built buildings twice the size we have. Oh, I know. Why? Because they saw them. They said, you know what? We want better. Yeah. It's Dubai, the cutter. I mean, we'll go into, we can go into, we can, people can say, well, it's a slave state. And you have a lot of people who are, you know, working for, you know, contracting to people and they're working for pennies on the dollar and the government provides a lot of different things and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here kind of looking around like, you know, the only th- difference I see in American culture is that we don't have, you know, a government actually providing things or an efficient government to it. You know, most people I know are still working, you know, for what's essentially pennies on the dollar adjusted for inflation. Um, but what they're doing is, you know, they said like, hey, this is this is, you know, with. Uh, using the, I, I don't, I hate to use the term Mecca in regards to religion there, but this is the Mecca of Middle Eastern technology of what we can be, and that is what they're doing. And it's, you know, from Amer- from the Americas, you know, where we stand in it, and what's going on with us is we kind of have to say, okay, this is what. American culture can be, and people can choose between cultures for the better of their own, um, you know, economic development, and not for, you know, it's it, it's a difficult conversation. It's difficult to sell people like, like you want America to be awesome, you want America to be great again. You have to be open to them to say, hey, come here. Things are awesome. We're gonna work with you, and you don't have to, and you can be who you want to be here. 
and we, we can't bring it to you. You gotta come here. Yes, and that's kind of what we have to do. What we have to do. We also have to let them come in at the same time. Um, and you well, know, yeah, that's that's the other half of it. Um, and it, it's selling it on both ends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, it's the I mean, it's the same thing with um, with China. I mean, even even with their middle class growth. Uh, the only reason that they haven't imploded is because the rest of the world needs and consumes. Yeah. They will never they would they would never at least in many many lifetimes be able to as a culture shift from that type of mentality because that's what it is, it's a mentality. Yeah. Uh, it is it is a mentality. Um it's and it's a different mentality over in China as well. But I think when it comes down to like us in the Middle East and, and how to deal with religious extremism and how to deal with this is, you know, if we have two decisions to make, if we have a if we want to have an interventionist policy over there, we can't have we, we can't have it, you know, both ways. We cannot have it where we are trying to make everything good here and trying to make everything good there. You can't have a worse effort and pave the roads. Yes. It, it's too costly that you were spread too thin. We're trying to improve other countries. We're trying to improve our own. It doesn't work because you're in your, that's where your investment is. You know, and additionally, is, but we can create an internal, in, an internal economy in the U.S. This is what I've always said about our workforce and how we're designed. We can create, and we've done it in India, and this is what's really weird. We've done it successfully, is we can create an internal economy in the U.S. of highly educated people. And now we have to invest in educating them and get them there where, hey, you need someone to come in and fix your manufacturing unit, manage your people. Exporting the individuals, yep. Yep, you go to America. They're the smartest, they're the brightest, they're the best managers out there. And, at the, and I, I, I think, you know, just based off population numbers, or you're not even America, just the Western world in general. Yeah. And the Eastern world can be people, you know, hey, you want someone to make good stuff for you? You go to India. Now, right now, not necessarily true. But... Um, <laughs> well, no, we export the talent, so... Right now, microcosm going on in the Pacific, among other things, with China, that is China. Mm -hmm. uh, all the resources they have been fighting over. Well, they found a new renewable or semi-renewable version of natural gas, and it's frozen in methane beneath the permafrost in the Arctic and Antarctic, mm -hmm. as well as the bedrock in the Pacific and the trenches. Okay. And they're fighting now over that and the rest of the countries that have claimed to the south china sea so philippines vietnam you know among others uh that were part of that arbitration decision yep. by the international court well guess what they're doing they're hiring full classes of university students from the u.s to come over and make that economy viable so they can fight back against china yeah and that's i mean that's uh for me it's a capitalism win um, and that's what I think that we as Americas can kind of go towards is if you're someone who is altruistic, you know, an altruistic liberal who says, I want to be able to have a country where, you know, we can be a shining example for other people and I can go over and help other countries and people who are truly in need and things like that, 
then we should need to also be focused on making ourselves, you know, capitalistic enough where we can do these this type of work, where our people are, you know, and it's well, we're the we're the world's independent contractors. Yeah, yeah, and um, like I I told I was talking to um, so, you know, someone who hired out tech contractors, and he's like, if you want things to get um, done exactly the way you want it in a quick amount of time. Um, you can go. You can go over to Asia. The problem is, you better have those specs down to a goddamn T. I mean, no wiggle room at all. I mean, you tell. Yeah, people, it has to be a recipe A to Z. Yes, but if you want someone to look at a recipe, make something for you, and make it better, you know, you get things done locally. The problem is, you're not going to get it done as fast as you want, and it's going to be pricey. But I can guarantee you, it's going to be the best product on the market. Um, and that's, that's where we sit in economic. And I don't think that we are, I, my, my biggest issue with some of the, the Trump economic policy is I don't think that that is top of mind or considered. You know what I mean? I think it's more, I don't, I, I don't jobs wise for economic policy of the Trump administration you may, you may be able to explain what they're thinking a little bit more than I know because for well, me no, they're focused on helping um, you know Main Street Joe and that's been that was the whole campaign push now whether that it, you know ends up um, in pragmatic application who knows uh, instead of retraining the coal miners we're giving them coal mining jobs and instead of by rehiring all 50 pink slips we'll hire like 15 call it a win that's what i and that's i have an issue with that and this is another come down to you know like uh like like selling a proposition to people that they're not necessarily comfortable with is at this point like we have to coal miners great example my great grandfather well not even great grandfather my grandfather was a coal miner who left in the left in the 70s to come to dc because there were no coal mining jobs left in west virginia and i'm like people are like well the coal mining jobs are going away and i'm like they're gone they left 50 years ago you know but how do we tell these people how do we tell them we need to retrain you for jobs and how do we bring those jobs to them um right now and i one of the things i always have you know, uh, a problem with and some more of the Republican discussions is their argument is government doesn't create jobs. One, two, it needs to be focused on private industry. We need to give them the ability to create jobs. And I'm like, well, private industry isn't giving people jobs in areas where, based on economic factors, you'd think that they'd be able to invest in cheaply and get a hard-working uh, workforce like the Midwest, the South, um, you know, these former coal miners that are out of work and things like that because they're unwilling to retrain. And so... Yeah, they don't want to go do something else. Yeah, exactly. And they're unwilling to retrain. So how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we sell people on that? And that's not a... Well, we can't. That's a, we have to figure out the way, but how do we do it? Do we just, you know, is it just going to be a factor of them suffering until um, this is going to come full circle? I think so. Okay. And now is it going to come full circle to create our own, like, radical, some people would say it already exists, but um, right-wing sect in our own country? 
that's going to you know eventually try to commit their own and you know acts on the basis of whatever inspires them you you think it's going to do we think that it's going to come to that you know i i don't know uh even though I, mean, I guess it depends on how the suffering rolls out and how it manifests. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's the Detroit, you know, starvation food riots, uh, possibly. Mm-hmm. If it's, uh, you know, the, the heck, even the Dakota Access Pipeline, where I mean, they're, they basically just sit down. They're like, you know what, we don't want to retrain. Uh, they they pull a grease where they just want to be taken care of mm-hmm. after you know a certain age. Mm-hmm. And it, it'll be up, it'll be up to us, and because it's gonna be, you know, our moms, dads, uh, aunts, uncles, maybe an older sibling, and we're gonna have to say, uh, you know, either yeah or go kick rocks. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, as as cold and you know lifeless of a response to that is, because uh, I've seen both coins where some older folks are willing to relearn uh, they'll never be as proficient but they'll still be able to carve it out and they say you know what it sucks but at least i got the bills paid i get to buy beer at the end of the, you know yeah. end of the week whatever i'll say this like my job i have right now and, and i like my job and i feel like i'm you know i'm can be relatively skilled at my job and there are technical aspects of it but the general nine to five of what i do at my job i you know I don't think that you need to be extremely technologically proficient at it. You just need to understand a process. And I feel like that's a lot of jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm my position certainly is unconventional right now. Um, are there advancements in paths? Sure. Uh, and I'm pursuing them. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the other thing is that it's a generational difference where the same generation that doesn't want to retrain – it's the generation that told us to go and get training and in as much and different kinds of training as possible. And that kind of dichotomy, I don't, I don't understand. And then on the other side of that same coin that's split in half already is the, you know, the whole de- idea of college education and the student debt. And it's like, you know what, you guys sold us on this idea. Now, one, you're making us pay it back till we die yeah. uh, after you're dead, by the way. And then two, you you know you say that our these same degrees aren't worth cash value and it's how do you put a price on an idea that you we were told that's it yeah it's the future yeah and it's uh i think sold is a good word that you put in there um because on one end i think that you know the adults in our generation were like the the adults before us were like yeah go to college get a degree and they told all of us that and every single one of us here's the thing is i heard this complaint like about you know i'm i'm a huge i have a certain amount of respect for mike rowe as an entertainer as someone who is looking into starting to do stand up for himself and would like to get into entertainment like i said today like my ultimate like what my ideal type of life would be was to be a relatively obscure celebrity that people who really knew about certain things knew like a third, <laughs> like a third string, like a third string quarterback for the Patriots. What's like, Oh, 
you played at Michigan class of whatever with the ring, right? Oh, sweet. Yeah, like that type of celebrity. Like um, just enough to make it, make money out of it and just enough to make enough money to be comfortable out of it. That's the type of celebrity I want to – Joy Bell, perfect example. Um, I, I would say I, um, Jason Muse is a good example, like the guy that played Jay on, for Jay and Silent Bob. He's a good Oh, singer. goodness. Yeah, like, but that level. Like, what's Jay doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay's done a lot. I, I, Jason Mewes is awesome. Um, you know, there's people that are just, that are just like that. Um, ben Affleck before Ben Affleck became Ben Affleck. You know what I mean? Like, Ben Affleck before Goodwill Hunting. Um, and it, things like that. And um, that's my goal. But Micro has this issue of he uh, he made this this thing of you know our generation is unwilling to go take these hard jobs, these union jobs, these blue collar jobs because you know they think they look at these jobs and they're dirty and they're nasty and they're hard work. And I'm like unworthy, unworthy. And, yeah. and I'm like the problem is, Mr. Rowe, is every poster I saw from age zero to very very recently portrayed that and that was the message that your generation gave us and that was the message that i got not necessarily from my parents but the message that i got not even from my educators but the message that i got from the people who were telling me if you want to make money go to guidance counselors not even guidance counselors oh no, I I apologize. I thought you were going a different direction. No, no. Well, guidance. I have my own issue with guidance counselors. I don't exactly know what their job is. Well, okay. So <laughs> guidance counselor for me, example. Uh, okay, so varsity four year athlete. Like at the end, the third marking period of my junior year, she brought me in with my parents and said, "Listen, for your senior year, you might want to consider Votech." Because uh, at that point, you know, I was a lackluster achiever academically. Yeah. Typical. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that would, that, but, so I have five more marking periods left. Really? Yeah. Well, that's not a, well, that's in, in one way though, her at least saying that in you saying, well, no, fuck that. I want better in going to college. At least she gave you that option though. You know what I mean? Like she didn't pitch it in the right way. Yeah. She didn't pitch it in the right. She didn't say it in the right way. Like, Hey, you or, know, the right time really no and that's the thing is hey you can have a lucrative career in votech you know a physical job where you know you're doing things and if later on if later on you want to be educated more there are opportunities for you there that should have been the answer that should have been the thing see that the other thing though the the you know the i guess the kicker Mm -hmm. is uh sports and football Mm mm-hmm so, I mean, you know, and I, and I was, I was a state champion. I went, you know, got a scholarship, yada, yada. But, uh, that's what I prepared for my entire life. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say I'm in the same boat. Um, wrestling, I think is a lot different. Well, um, not the football part, being, yeah. but like, I, I knew going into football that I was still, I was going to make it. I was going to get a scholarship, but I'm not, you know, seven foot. So yeah. chances of pro, not really. Yeah, and and that's I'm you know I was five eleven until I hit college, and then I hit college and I just inched over six foot by you know a quarter of an inch. Um, yeah, and and I was and I I remember stepping on the scale, um at twenty four twenty five years old, and um twenty four twenty five years old, 
And hold up one second. Sorry, my wife ordered dinner and now she's getting antsy. Nice. <laughs> um I I sounded a little hangry. She was she ordered dinner borderline and, hangry. She's hangry right now. She's definitely in the hangers the hanger zone. Um and she's also nine months pregnant. So <laughs> not allow it this time. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely allowed. Um but I think that you know, with me, I didn't. I knew that sports was always going to. My dad would say differently. Would have. It was a medium. It was a medium. Yeah, and it, it was something that uh, I I appreciate to this day because it you know allowed me to have a an outlet. Um, but it also yep. you know, it also caused me. I, I would say like it's like I'm I still deal with a lot of issues from sports and stuff like that growing up you know i still have sure pain we all do you know we all do um it's you know god the rage felt so good my, my biggest problem with sports was it, it internally in my life it left a a hole of fulfillment that i'm always trying oh, to fulfill. oh yeah oh yeah and that is i think but that's also what gives you the drive to achieve more um and that is uh, that's something that is that that's just different. Um, so it it's it's. But, we were talking about the the uh, democracy in education, and me being the <laughs> the only example. Uh, no, for instance, going through the last arguably the last three years, but especially the last year. The only way that I was able to keep up the level of intensity, the quality, and follow through was because of sports. Oh, yeah. And that's the same thing with me. I, I think of things. My hunger that I had when I was wrestling in college to learn everything that I could and learn from everybody that I could carries me through ridiculously. Now, the downfall is I want to yeah. be in, I want to be involved in everything. There's nothing that I don't want to do, and I can't focus on what I really want to do, which was my issue in wrestling. Uh, I couldn't figure out my style or anything that I wanted to do because I wanted to do everything. Um, but it still gave me that drive. Um, but when it comes down to you know this our generation though, is I feel like our generation, generally speaking, sports wise, you know, people will criticize the our when we were younger that everybody got to play sports whereas when they were growing up there were tryouts and not everybody made it i'm like yes but we are actually a more active generation and we are a generation who had that sports influence and that that influence to work towards something and that drive for fulfillment um that i don't think is appreciated as much um but I think when it, and I think this especially comes down to this next generation of retraining and whatnot, is if you can show a population of people, of young people, hey, we can give you fulfillment and we can make it so that, you know, you're growing again, um, then you can, then they're going to buy into it. You know, 
it is this this question of what are we going to do with with boomers that are kind of left out of this curve though and older people who are left out of this curve uh, because i think they're definitely the ones that are being hurt by all of this the most people who made a good amount of money for a long time and now it's just all stripped from them and the only jobs that are available to them don't pay that well so do we take care of them how do we take care of them and and, and what do we really do about it well uh, to be fair i think we're in a bit of a transition phase mm-hmm. so we haven't quite hit the fully automated um track yeah of the or, or course mm-hmm. and until that happens there wouldn't be a, a markedly different um aspect where uh, you know essentially all of the oh gosh what is that um movie it's uh it was saturn space it was like this princess or whatever and all the planets were um it was this weird like little world fair convention portal portal key thing uh, anyways it was this old decrepit generation mm-hmm. planet everything and finally the kids came back home no it wasn't dune no it was a princess and it was like channing tatum and something else. with mila kunis and yeah, 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 they yeah. were going around on all the things and they fly and yeah yeah. And you know, and they basically they came back. Uh, but part of you know, part of the, one of the scenes and the part of that plot was though this old planet. And finally, they came back and they said, "Here, you know, let 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 us show you what you know we learned." Mm-hmm. It's it's going to come a time, uh, and I, and I'd like to see the U.S. be ready and have a plan for it. But mm-hmm. uh, until we can give them a futuristic video and say, "Listen, it's going to suck. It'll be tough. I know you're 80 years old and you still got to work, but it, you know you can get this." Uh, it, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough. because I think they'll feel devastated because their job was their identity. It is, and I think that is actually the big separation between our generation and their generation is we don't. Or our identity is independent of what we do. Yes, is I can go to work nine to five every day, and I can sit in an office and talk about supply chain things. But when I go home, what do I want to do? I want to like I want a podcast. I want to do stand up comedy, and I want to play Skyrim. None of that correlates at all and that's okay and that's the hard part is that's okay um it's really hard to get across that's okay as well um yeah and and it's and it's a you know like going out to the bar uh don polsky's you know get uh pbr and uh is it tzatziki tzatziki uh anyways you know hey what do you do i'm a welder you know oh nice well you know i'm a pipe you know, pipe bender or whatever, and uh, a sense of stature, I guess. Yeah, uh, but the thing is, is, is the is the I so I know pipe fitters and I know welders, and the thing is, is is those guys, even those guys nowadays. I, my buddy, um, my buddy Daniel, we call him Kanks because it's high school wrestling nickname. Um, uh, looking <laughs> looking back, there's a couple of them. It's really racist, but somehow they stuck. Um, the only Fili- <laughs> the only Filipino kid on the team, a half Filipino, nickname Wonton, still oh, stuck God. with him to this day. 
<laughs> through the Navy. Guy works for Amazon. Yeah. Guy works for Amazon oh. now. Still stuck. His nickname's Wonton. I don't know how that's, that's awesome. stuck. Um, but that's okay. That I, you know, sure it started out. I'm sure maybe a little racist, but I don't. It I don't, grows beyond that. Hey, he introduced himself as Wonton. So well, then there you go. <laughs> he uh, but they but but they're like they go they're pipe fitters they're welders whatever and they work overtime they work their asses off when they get out of work you know what they go do like they go listen to punk music and make sweet motorcycles and like and make listen to punk music make sweet motorcycles and then go play like rec hockey leagues like they're still their own individuals outside of work. I'm just like, oh man, like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, you know, I'm in the pipe fitters union. I'm like, oh, cool. And he's yeah, but you know, I, I make motorcycles on the side. You know, I fix up motorcycles on the side. You know, or I got a punk band on the side or something like that. Like that dynamic didn't. I think it's not new, but didn't exist in the degree it does. Well, now. I think it skipped a, a generation too. It yeah. wasn't. They didn't have the time nor the productivity the level of productivity Mm -hmm. to put you know sometimes it took you know uh joe joe the carpenter 20 years to restore that old ford whereas now you can maybe do it in two or three years yeah i definitely i definitely feel like that like uh restoring a car is a lifelong project i know for my dad like he had two cars out in the out in the driveway that he planned on by the time that we were 16 he bought it before we were born when I was born, he bought two cars, two old MG convertibles. His plan was by the time he was, we were 16, nice. he'd had that one of those cars restored for me. By the time my baby sister was 16, he'd had the other one restored for her. And after five years, he's like, I can't do this. And I'm thinking, now, the cars weren't in bad shape. The cars started. I'm like, but now, if I bought that, I'd have it running in two or three years. It's like, why, you know... I don't think the tools were that much better, but I think the availability in order to get the parts for it were definitely. Oh, getting the parts, um, the time. Uh, I mean, you know, you you can literally just run up to AutoZone <laughs> and, and, and back. And, and if it's not at AutoZone, you can order it off Amazon or Jags or whatever you yeah. want to do. Yeah, uh, Sam's or, Club. You can buy bulk. You could buy parts, auto parts through their tire yeah. store. I mean, mm-hmm. exactly. The availability is just there, um, and, I, and I think that's the key difference. Um, I think that's a key difference, and that's another thing that when people complain that you know the younger generation is an instant gratification generation, it's like we want it now, and I'm like, but we can get a lot of things now, and if you think that we're not going to take advantage of a lot of that, then you're insane, you know. And your generation did it too. And that's yeah, what- I was gonna say they taught that was always taught like if it's there and you can take it and. You're not hurting anybody. Take it because somebody else will. Yeah, it's a. It's not a. It's not, it's even, not a freebie, but no. it's there. But and that's the thing is it's it's you know we can go like auto parts like. Well, let's go to music for example. We complain, you know, older generations will complain about like MP3s and everything's available online. In my day, you had to go through a record and or a cassette, um, and listen. Well, I I personally think that. Cassettes were a thousand times worse than record, or a thousand times worse than records, because you lost the ability to actually like navigate to a specific track or something like that. Um, yeah. But still, you had to go through a record, or you had to wait for a song to play on the radio, and then you had to record it, and blah 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 blah. I'm like, but you're also ignoring 
the generation before you may have just had radio. And the generation before that may have just had the ability to go see someone play a song live. And that type of music may have gotten more and more and more out of reach for people as you go back in generations. And every generation could say, man, these kids nowadays listening to their radio. When I was young, I had to go three towns over to the city to hear such and such thing. And so it's always existed. And I think just now everybody's so hyper aware of everything else that's going on that it is that they're just much more quick to react to it. And, and that's kind of the, the key thing behind it. I don't think there's anything different about it. I just think our generation, since it is so, since we are so productive about things, we want to be able to have everything accessed and we want to be able to make sure that our individuality shines through what we do. Well, it's not even, I don't even understand the whole difference. Basic process improvements for a mechanic, for instance. Why would you do A, B, you know, C, D, if you can just do A and maybe a little B and be done? Yeah. I mean, with the whole, you know, doing the, like the cassette for instance or A track. And, you know what? I don't want a whole binder of friggin' CDs that I carry around in my single disc changer. Uh, for like the mid 2000s like medium price cars like that uh, you know uh, why what i'll burn all my favorite songs on the four cds it's really funny that we that we kind of think of single disc changers as a subpar technology to multi-disc changers which are the subpar technology to the original ipad ipod which is really a subpar technology to all the streaming services that we have now. Like we're that yeah, like far Now removed. I can add 30 <laughs> different artists into one list and hit shuffle. I don't even have to hit skip. I can go I can go get what? a I can go get like a Spotify premium or like a Google Music or something like that. So do you think it's a do you think it's a jealousy that they then say that well oh well, I had to do real hard no, work in order no, to listen I, to I, CD. I, I think it is purely down to um, hyperexposure. Um, where like I can't believe it has gotten this much. Like that, that that is so easy now. You, I mean, is it? It's it's available to everyone, and you can't ignore it. You can't. In America, like you think, what? I'm going to do the year calculations. Forty years ago, let's say the the late, well, fifty years ago now, the late sixties. You could be in New York, and there's all this stuff going on and whatnot, but you could drive to you could drive two hours. You can still do this, um, but not to the degree. This is a good example. You can drive two hours from New York to Eastern Pennsylvania to some podunk town. In the '60s, you could see new cars, new suits, new technologies. Uh, news, music, everything is there, but all they are available to you, relatively speaking. And if you go two hours over, they're not going to have that music, that technology, that news. You know, news may come two weeks after the newspaper hits in New York City. You know what I mean? Like, everything is so much faster for exposure that if I live in the middle of nowhere, it's not like 
my kid doesn't have access to this type of technology. I live in the middle of nowhere. This kid still has the same technology available to them as someone who lives in downtown Manhattan or downtown L.A. And that is the difference is before you had people complaining about it, but you had people but you were able to choose one culture over another. Now, you know, everybody's going to pick and choose from the pick and choose from the benefits of culture from big city type things and high tech type things. Yeah. And, and, and that is what it is. It was, we were forced to do this and now the kids are like, but we don't want to be forced to do this because we have this and we can see we have this. That's the key difference. Um, it's, it's just a generational exposure thing. And so you can go, I remember my dad saying he didn't eat pizza till he was 22. Cause Papa didn't like pizza. That concept in and of itself is insane to me because, like, you can't ignore pizza. Everybody's ate pizza. You know what I mean? And it is because in, yeah. in West Virginia, he went to D.C., he had pizza one time, didn't like it. So they didn't eat it. So they didn't have these types of, like, and that was considered a luxury. Now, like, luxuries just become casual day of life things. It's just gotten so far that pe- that that um, – it's gotten so far that people are still trying to hold on to a culture that's dying. So that's what I think it is. That's my uh, my theory and my thesis for my PhD for social sciences. Well, it's not even only that, but uh, I guess my pet peeves. So we're we're gonna delve into maybe some of the intro topics for uh, our blog segments. I think I'm gonna start actually mine next uh, next week. But you know, little. Hot topics, uh, cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. I don't understand half of what the actual conversation is, only because, uh, yeah, from a social science perspective, I want to pick everything. I want to pick something from you. I want to take from there. Uh, you know, back that way I saw two weeks ago, give me some of that. And then I want to see what, what this makes right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm going to be ridiculed for it. I had I have an issue with that, and I have really big mixed feelings about that. I know that recently the right wing blog has been going on about this burrito stand in Portland. Um, they went off mm, on this not familiar, really weird situation, and I'm trying to still trying to figure it out. I, and it's hard to because only the right wing is reporting about it, which makes me think, eh, it's some bullshit. Um, you know what I mean? If only one side reports on it, I'm kind of... Yeah, usually at least both sides have something. Yeah, if only... Might be the fifth page. Yeah, if only the right wing's reporting on it, if it's just like The Blaze and like the Daily Mail, I'm like, yeah, there's some bullshit. Um, and, and... Daily Fail. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's... So this apparently, allegedly, this burrito shop... They went down to Mexico. They learned how to make uh, real tortillas from uh, Mexican women, and they learned from them. And they brought it they, all this information about how to make these great burritos that held together. They brought it back to the states, and they made these crazy freaking burritos with like French fries and stuff in them. And allegedly, uh, the liberals in uh, Portland heckled them so bad about cultural appropriation that eventually they had to shut down their business. And I'm thinking. 
dude, if I'm running a burrito shop, a real banging burrito shop that's that like is making real banging burritos, if someone's bitching to me about a cultural appropriation, I don't care because I'm slinging banging burritos. People are still gonna come eat my burritos, but at the same time, like I don't see what's wrong with that. But there was also I didn't know. There's also a, high, a huge Hispanic population in Portland now. Well, but sure, now you're delving, though. Then it gets situational, yeah, uh, context-based. And the whole the, – the clickbait, it, it's now become much more than just clickbait. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, um, ex- oh, the the whole I brought up that whole statistic nonsense that now I see I shouldn't call it nonsense because people care about it, whatever. Um, you know, I'm women are now proud in broadcasting the fact that they are um, not a statistic of you know the four out of five women that shave, and it's just like, but uh, I I don't understand the click clickbait desire to be part of that. I, I I just always I kind of always assumed that there were some women that didn't shave. I don't get it. Like, well, but I mean, there are plenty of other topics that are you know part of that same you know uh, demographic and quality. Yeah. Uh, for instance, what you were mentioned with the Blade of the Daily Fail, mm-hmm. but it just the 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 pushiness and somehow like uh, the Huffington Post and then uh, BuzzFeed are clearly publishing some really poor articles. And they still maintain legitimacy. Well, here's the thing. With all those, th- Daily Mail, Blaze, Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, name them. Here's the thing. is They will publish some things that are garbage, garbage. And then I have also said that if you want the best reporting on the, on the planet, you go to these places and you dig through the trenches because there's also the best reporting on the planet there. You know what I mean? It's the worst yeah, and the they, best. I like and enjoy and watch a lot of different news outlets and networks because the contributors that are a part of that uh, and the other you know, various freelancer AP journals mm-hmm. are fantastic. It, it's weird because I will go – I used to be a big Huffington Post reader. And I stopped because it, it became harder and harder for me to find well-written pieces and well-researched pieces. But once I found one, it was always amazing. The Blaze, same issues. Uh, Breitbart, even, same issues. Oh, sidebar. Have you noticed, but I have, an increasing amount of spelling, grammatical, and punctuation errors in all of them? Um, I started noticing a lot in Breitbart, and I think it's because they're scrambling to get reporters uh, and writers for them, and they're kind of... They've always kind of dragged from the bat at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, let's face it, Milo Yiannopoulos was like one of their senior sure. editors. Um, <laughs> not saying that I literally. I mean, not saying anything really about Milo Yiannopoulos other than he shouldn't be a senior editor. You know what? I don't say that he shouldn't be a public figure. I think that some of his speeches have points. Again, they're as buried in there as a good article on Breitbart. Um, I think he has, you know, a very well-crafted opinion of his of himself, but shouldn't be a senior editor. I was going to see where you're going with that, of himself. Yeah, of himself, yeah. Um, but he should not be a senior editor for this. That being said, I, I've seen I've seen the same thing in Huffington Post, um, which I don't as much understand. Um, I, I oh, and that's my thing, is it being an all-female staff and – 
being ascribing to one of the main topics or beliefs, which is equality. How do you have equality when there's there's nothing from the male perspective? Well, nothing. The post isn't really an all female staff. They have some men. I will say that um, one of the places I will have to. I, I'd be interested to see. Listen, the girl to guy ratio, and not to conflate it with. Yeah. the racial portion of yeah. of it but it's the the hidden figures. Yeah. Like that's that's how many women are, or men are in hopping the post. Yeah, and it's it's uh I've applied there before, and, you know, not as much of a nod and I had contacts there and not as much of a nod for myself. Um and I know people who work there and and it, God bless people who work at Huffington Post. Again, you guys used to be one of my favorite publications, but there is an issue of finding balance with it. And I actually, here's the thing, crazy thing. I like Ariana Huffington. I like the woman who runs the organization. Um, when it comes to Blaze, I don't mind Clint Beck, which is insane to say, especially recently. I no, don't I, mind Clint Beck. No, recently, I don't like him very much anymore but i used to like him okay he had a lot of good history um you know compare contrast pieces yeah anyways uh, go ahead but i don't i don't mind him as much and i and but i see a lot of what i end up seeing is there is you know an ideal push from up above and then the execution of it down below just becomes muddled um and there are a lot of people in organizations who hold on to these theoretical values and things like that and don't put them in perspective um but also twist them to their own uses and i think that uh, most of our modern news things are victimized by that um and most of our modern news feeds are victimized by that and and that is a lot of what we're doing so i mean Again, if you're going to find good news, you can use these sources. you got to dig through them. You have to absolutely dig through them. Um, and I think that... Uh, I think that the next couple of years, you're going to end up seeing a little bit more diversity in these organizations because you're going to see a lot more people who are, who are wanting to speak out um, and wanting to get noticed. So if they aren't... If they're not pushing out people who want to get noticed and things they want to hear, people are going to go elsewhere. And if people go elsewhere, then you'll have new platforms that are going to do it better. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine about it today, and she was asking like something about exposure and like what is my plan. And I was like, personally, here would be like, you know, my plan is to bring together people of different like different areas of thought, different experience, and things like that, who are young and willing to get their opinion out there and have them talk and have them uh discuss with each other you know what their viewpoint is and why that is um and actually come up with actionable solutions about it and you know i i said the term unsafe safe area where it's a safe area and the idea that you're you're going to talk about your ideas freely and openly but your ideas are also going to be challenged and I think, I think how bad the news is now, and how bad these publications are now, are going to birth better publications. If that makes sense. 
Well, I, I mean, I certainly hope so. Uh, hope so. Hope so. Uh, the, the other thing, though, is the the draw from the crowds and the different, uh, you know, the different fan bases for publications, whether it's, uh, you know, now this, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, Blaze, Fox, you know, all that. The, I've noticed, though, especially with, uh, they don't consider themselves left, but I think now this is, right? Um, um, yeah, at least it, certainly left of center. For, for, the, for the record, um, for the absolute record, even though I am a lefty, now this can go eat a dick. I hate that publication. Wow. For multiple reasons, well, but, I hate that publication. <laughs> well, but a lot of now the organic grassroots type publications that are flowing on social media and that have some, at least a decent fan base on yeah. they're It's now dividing so much, though. Uh, and, and it's almost become hyperbole from a view standpoint where they don't tolerate anything uh and it's especially delving into you know some of the big widespread sorority and it's called quote-unquote spice girls and i guess there's a guy version of it too but i've seen some of the conversations and opinions thrown around there from educated to not so educated you know rich um black white pink purple otherwise and it is unbelievable uh just the, I guess, distaste or intolerance of anything but, uh, you know, an insult when it comes to describing a situation. Yeah. I mean, they come off the handle right away with, oh, well, then obviously he's a racist, he's a sexist. And it just, I was listening to her reading into this, and I'm like, what is, how are you subscribing to this? You're part of a generation that doesn't like the labels, yet you're giving people irrevocable labels that can kill their entire lifestyle it's the downfall and it's the dark side of political correctness you know it's it's what we all talk about um i definitely i mean it's it's brutal i know it is and it's something because she said oh well she described a situation or a discussion that we had in this group and three or four of them you know oh well he's obviously racist well that presents a couple few problems Mm -hmm. uh and she's like oh well you know they're psychologists I'm like, does that supposed to make it more valid or better? And I was like, you you can't uh, you can't give too much thought to some of this. I mean, if this kind of organic discussion is going on, you don't think that's going to permeate into other things? Yeah. And it's just I I I hadn't seen the ugly side of some of these Facebook groups that are supposed to be you know supportive communities and uh, you know body image whatever, um, depression, anxiety, you know things that people our age young old or otherwise mm-hmm. seek community with yeah but and it, then it being hooked in with huffington post buzzfeed and it like feeds off of each other and it's it's terrifying and, and, you know on the right like i was talking about the you know the issue with the, the, the burritos in portland um you see these certain right-wing type of circles same having happened with them and that thing it comes down these bubbles um you know, you talk with the Blaze, the Daily Mail, and all these things. All these different articles are being shared inside bubbles, and there's no way to permeate in between them. Um, it is, you know, how do you burst both bubbles at the same time and force people to talk with each other? And I think that is what is, I think that is on the horizon, though. I think there's a lot more people who are trying to do that. Um, but I think right now a lot of us are staying silent for the most part um and trying to develop bigger and better ideas because we feel silenced um you know a vocal majority you know 
a silent majority in the middle. And I think it's, it's high time it happens. Um, that's my opinion to it. Well, the, and yeah, uh, I, I hope that comes. Uh, at the same time, though, and I was listening to, uh, I think it was Bloomberg uh, Radio at the time, and then I flipped over to Fox Business because there was a contributor coming on I wanted to listen to. Anyways, um, you know, and, and I started explaining to her the different, you know, intricacies and nuances with some of these NATO um, moments. And she goes, I can't believe you, you know, listen to this. And I said, you, you got to understand, if you want accurate information, you don't have to listen to the person giving it, but the material they're displaying is what's going on, is what the focus is, or the factual information is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can't discount just because you don't like someone's opinion. You really got to venture through past the, you know, the teleprompter that they're reading off of. You actually have to listen to their screen. Yeah, I mean... And, and a lot it's of, lost. A lot of times you disagreeing with them, you get you end up finding out more facts than what they're saying, and that's why you have to listen to them. Um, it's difficult. It, it, it is difficult, and I think it's a lot of people. The downfalls of instant gratification is people want to take everything that people say at face value without looking at where the source comes from and developing their own opinions about it because they want everything to be there for them right now. Um, and that's a big and that's an, and that's an issue. It's the downfall of the same benefits that we have. Well, but and, and seriously though, I, I want to try to bridge the gap because you know even short term I see that affecting lots of people's relationships and it's really unnecessary. And we can talk about it. Yep. Anyways, I think we got to call it, Alex. We're at hour twenty four. And oh goodness, <laughs> Memorial Day weekend. Do you got any good food ready for this week? I don't, I, I have to, uh, tomorrow I have nothing. Sunday I have to work, and then Friday, and then Monday, Friday, Friday, Monday, Monday we have people coming over, so it's going to be a long weekend. But, uh, mm. but it's a I got charcoal grill, lamb chops, and venison steaks. Oh, you're lucky as hell. I wish I had some one of those things. There is a really cheap Spirit Airlines flight to Detroit from JFK. <laughs> I think it's like 80 bucks. <sighs> yeah, but then I have to fly Spirit Airlines. um anyways i'm gonna call it you know it's been a good talk this week you know any talk that goes over an hour naturally is always good we'll see what happens between now and uh next week there's a lot going on for sure definitely would but to keep the ears to the ground anyways we're kicking rocks we're getting out of here after memorial day enjoy your guys's gluttonous adventures Drink a couple beers and have a couple steaks. Have a good one.